One of the things that helped when I was thinking about my business was really trying to identify what does the client really need every month? Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their business after a long career as an employed professional. We believe you should be able to do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner Khan. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with the president of Clara CFO Group, Hannah Smolinski. In today's episode, you will learn how to turn your expertise into multiple active and passive revenue streams. Stay with us to hear all the details. Are you building a community? Check out Circle, the all-in-one community platform for creators and brands. Bring together engaging discussions, members, live streams, chat, events, and memberships, all in one place, all under your own brand. Circle is the platform we use in the Smashing the Plateau community. I love the way Circle puts your people, discussions, and content all in one place. Get a free 14-day trial of Circle at smashingtheplateau.com slash circle. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash circle. Now let's welcome Hannah Smolinski. Welcome, Hannah Smolinski. Hannah is a CPA and the founder of Clara CFO Group, a virtual CFO agency providing small businesses with financial clarity and profit maximization strategies. Her experience working for one of the world's largest accounting firms inspired her to make corporate expertise accessible to small business owners through fractional CFO services. She also hosts a YouTube channel with over 36,000 subscribers and uses the platform to help small businesses achieve financial success. Hannah, welcome to the show. David, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Me too. Tell me a little bit about your career and what led you to become a fractional CFO. Yeah. So I um, started off at Big Four Accounting. I did the whole very traditional, you know, started out getting my accounting degree. Didn't really ever think I was going to do accounting, but I landed in accounting. I liked business and uh, numbers seemed to work well for me. So I ended up in accounting and then did the, when you need to sit for your CPA exam, sometimes you go uh, and do a master's degree. So I did that as well. Also in accounting, very exciting stuff, (laughs) but it did allow me the education to um, sit for my CPA exam. And it also allowed me opportunities to um, get a great internship with a big four accounting firm. And then I kind of started on that path in the big four. And I'm sure some of a lot of your um, people who have been in corporate kind of understand the big four, you know, either whether it's in consulting services or it's in accounting, you know, it's a churn and burn model. You work there, they, you know, hire tons of staff when you first start, and then they hope that there's going to be attrition over time. So I ended up kind of being spit out of the system where I actually opted out about five years in because I needed more work-life balance. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) So it was time to do something different. And um, I loved working in public accounting. I loved my coworkers and everything, but I just needed more balance. So I ended up working for a small engineering firm when I left. And that's where I really started to get really aware of everything that small business owners really needed with their finance. And it was actually really different from a corporate you know, background. And um, it was, yes, you need, you need 
finance, but in small business, there was more, I wouldn't say more nuance, but there's just uh, different needs and much more focus on cash. And I just realized that there was an opportunity there to start consulting after I was working for a small business for a while, I realized, hey, I could probably do this for some other companies too. So about five years into that business, I was like, maybe it's time to start something on my own. And that's where Clara CFO Group was born. And did you go full-time right away in your own, into your own business or did you start something on the side, build it up a little bit and then leave your job? I did the side by side. So I was definitely working for the other company. I was actually about 32 hours. I wasn't quite full time with them. And so it gave me a little bit of free time. And then my evenings were spent sort of developing my business and on the side. So I I probably did them side by side for a good year and started to build up a client base for my business. And then I ended up transitioning out of my role with the small business and kept them on as a client, actually. So that was actually a nice kind of soft landing into um, full-time consulting is when I had kind of a, a healthy client base at that point in time. So how do you have a conversation with an employer and say, I want to leave, but I also still want to work for you? <laughs> um, really, it came down to value and the skills I was bringing were what I was really best at was the finance and the advisory side on the finances. And what I had the conversation was actually my skill set was more expensive for doing that type of consulting work, but they were basically underutilizing my skills and they could have hired in a less experienced and honestly cheaper person to come in and do everything else I was doing in the business at the time, because I was doing administrative work and I was helping with sales. And I was the person who was like, you know, running errands if somebody needed to have an errand run. So we actually were able to bring in an administrative, more administrative focused person. And then it allowed me to kind of sit more in that higher level strategic advisory type role. And, you know, it cost them less overall, kind of with the whole package after doing that. So I sold it based on you're going to be getting more time from somebody else and it's going to cost you less in the long run. <laughs> right. So it was actually a solution that was a win-win. Yes. Yeah. And I try to do that wherever I can because I, I believe that there's win-wins all over the place. So you're just going to need to work and find the angle and usually we can find something to work. Yeah. No, that's really good. So then you went into your own business and tell me a little bit about how you landed on your business model. Yeah. So I definitely tested out a number of things for a while because I wasn't exactly sure how to sell my services. I think when we all start, we're all trying to figure out what does the market really need and what are we selling and where where do I fit in all of it? And I, I knew the market needed CFO services, but I had a hard time selling them at first because I didn't know how to talk about it. And then I also had a really challenging point of trying to make sure that I didn't get myself roped into bookkeeping engagements <laughs> because when people hear, hey, you're doing accounting on the, on the side, everybody thinks that means that you're going to do their accounting for them. And, you know, really identifying that we weren't doing the accounting and actually like sitting in a more higher level strategic advisory um, type service took a little while. So that took a while to sort of suss it out. But I knew that the role would be ongoing. So it kind of lent itself really well to a recurring revenue model 
where, you know, a client hires us as with on a retainer and we have a set amount of work we do every single month because with accounting, things change every single month. You get a new set of financials every single month. And so that ended up working really well with that like recurring revenue model. Yeah, one of the things that I hear a lot from professionals in their own business when they're trying to shift into a recurring revenue model is, how do I know how much time is actually going to take me to do this? How do I know what kinds of deliverables I'm actually going to be able to produce each month? How do I price it? How do I price it in a way that it's not too low? And also, how do I price in a way that's not too high and I'm over-promising what I can deliver? So there's, there's often a lot of fear around changing a business model or a pricing model from one that might be project-based or time-based into a recurring revenue model. Mm-hmm. One of the things that helped when I was thinking about my business was really trying to identify what does the client really need every month? What do they need? And if I broke that down, I started to see trends where I knew that every single client would need, for example, a budget every single year. So we're always going to do an annual budget. And then we know, hey, a forecast needs to be updated pretty much every month because assumptions change, decisions are being made, new clients are being brought on, and you know, revenue forecasts can definitely change. So when I noticed at that point, I, I understand what does the client need every single month Then I could back into, well, what does a package look like that I can really sell that I know I can deliver over and over and over again? So it ended up for us that when with a client that's typically under a million dollars, we kind of can start to see, we know what we need to do at the beginning of the project. And then we know that on a monthly basis, once we get that first bit established on a monthly basis, we have a really good sense of what that's going to be on an ongoing basis. So I was just talking with my staff earlier today and I was like, for this type of client, we know that we can spend four to six hours every single month on this type of client. And that always, almost always is going to work out just fine. Now at the beginning of the project, that's where we have the most uncertainty. (laughs) So for us, we actually do a recurring revenue model, but we also have a setup fee. So we charge that at the very beginning, which helps kind of offset any up, you know, really um, wild swings and hours. And then we also very specifically say these things are out of scope. So like if we get into your books and they're way messier than we ever (laughs) expected, then we're going to like kind of punt that back to a bookkeeper or we're going to bring somebody on that that's not our responsibility to absorb, but it's their responsibility to absorb. And so I think like once we started to identify, we know you need these things because people are coming to us because they don't know what's going on in their financials and they're looking for an expert. And so as the expert, we can say, we know you need these things and we're going to deliver on these things for you every single month. So it lends itself really well in the recurring revenue model. Yeah. So I think you've raised a really important point, which is you've got to know your scope Mm -hmm. for what's included and what's excluded from a particular offering. And I think that's also hard for people in the beginning to figure that out. Mm -hmm. 
oh, and I've made tons of mistakes. Let's not, <laughs> let's not <laughs> pretend like, uh, like I didn't get burned a number of times from, you know, way underbidding a project or way underestimating the amount of time it took. So I, I do think there, it does take a number of tries to really get it right. And, you know, I think the more you do something, the better you get at knowing the time that it's going to take. And you can put your best estimates out there. I would always say, if you're going to set some estimates, add 50% and then <laughs> and then maybe charge your hours from there because there's always going to be learning along the way. Yeah. So what, what did you do when it turned out that you way underbid in terms of how much value you provided or how long it took you? What'd you do in those situations in the beginning? Yeah, I, I definitely underbid a couple of my very first clients. And this was kind of when I was still sort of doing some accounting for clients as well. I just would come back to them with conversations and say, hey, like I had bid this project based on assuming your monthly close was going to take 10 hours. It actually took 20 hours. And I don't anticipate that changing because of efficiencies. Like I'm as efficient as I can get. And, you know, where we need to change the scope of what this is. And I think part of that is also understanding, like, you always have to be a little bit, if you're going to increase your prices, you have to hold your client with an open hand because you have to be willing for them to walk away when you increase your prices. But you also need to know, like, that you need to be true to yourself and what your value is. So if you're going to have a price increase discussion, you also need to be aware that maybe they won't like it and maybe they'll think, hey, we can go and find services cheaper elsewhere. But you know, at the end of the day, that's not a bad thing because then you could go out and find a client and price it correctly the next time around. So I think you have to just be, you have to be willing to with the consequences of what happens on a price increase. Yeah, no, that's very wise. So at this point, what are the different kinds of offerings that you have in your business? Yeah. So our main core offering is the virtual CFO services. And so those are recurring revenue projects where we come on and, you know, average average time with those clients is at least three years. So we're looking at where we come onto the team and we're serving them one-on-one -on -one every single month. But I have a couple other revenue streams, which is slightly different from probably other people providing CFO services. So I have a YouTube channel, which was mentioned, I think in the intro, where we are putting a lot of free education up on YouTube. And with that, I have income coming in from YouTube AdSense. So that makes me a little bit... So probably the range between what is recurring revenue from one-on-one -on -one services is about 80 to 85% of the total income in the business. And the other portion is made up of these other things. So I've got AdSense coming in. I also will sell things like workshops or even worksheets in Excel. So I'll make a worksheet. Uh, let's say it's like how to calculate your estimated taxes for your small business. And that worksheet will sell, like I'll probably sell like two or three of them today, you know, <laughs> just because I have a video that's actually sitting out on YouTube and people watch it. And especially when estimated tax time comes around, you know, that video gets like pulled up and a lot of people will buy that spreadsheet. So I have that in digital workshops that I have done where I've you know recorded a training and then I can sell the recording over and over and over again. And then I've got affiliate commissions. So I like right now I have a QuickBooks series and I'm an affiliate of QuickBooks. So with my YouTube channel, that's driving some affiliate revenue as well. So 
long-term for your business, what would you like it to, like, how would you like it to develop? Because if, if at this point it's 85% from one-on-one services, where are you thinking you want to take things? Yeah, I would like to get to closer to a 50-50. And that seems like kind of aggressive, but because I do want to grow and scale the agency side of the business as well. But really with with YouTube, it's a really interesting platform. There's a lot of opportunities for monetization. And even if you're not monetized with AdSense, you can still be monetized by selling a course or you can um, you know, do the affiliate revenue thing, which affiliate revenue really kicks in when you get like good volume coming in on videos and whatnot. But I would like to see that grow. And I do think that that will happen a lot through potential courses. So we've got some we've got some plans to grow on that side where we're able to come in and provide really targeted courses to certain industries that will help them with their overall financial understanding and planning. Yeah. Was there a particular trigger that encouraged you to get started selling digital offerings? I think what happened, I think the first offering I sold was actually because of PPP. So the Paycheck Protection Program was why my YouTube channel really took off. I was helping people understand that program. And then with that, I was selling... No, I wasn't selling. I was giving away for free a spreadsheet that was helping people calculate their PPP loan amounts and their potential forgiveness amounts. And that grew my email list basically from a couple hundred people to over 10,000 people basically wow. like that one spreadsheet. And so what that made me think is like, wow, if people get spreadsheets for free, maybe some people might want to buy some spreadsheets too. So so let's test that out. Yeah, let's <laughs> test that. I mean, that, that's the thing with some of the stuff. It's like, why not? I mean, throw it up there. If nobody buys it, you know, don't spend too much time on it where it's going to like, you know, be a huge loss, but, you know, test it. If one person buys it, maybe two people will buy it. But my products have always been, and the products that have always done well have been based on what people are asking for and where people have questions. So any product I build, it's because somebody has expressed a need for it at some point in time. And so that's, I mean, ideally you have a customer and then you build a product, not the other way around. You build a product and then you get a customer that tends to not work so well. And I've done that too. And then that doesn't sell. <laughs> and then I wonder why. So. Yeah, congratulations on everything you've built and sort of the way you've started to diversify your business. If you're advising someone who has a not an accounting or finance related business, but a you know totally different professional services niche, what would you advise um, when it comes to building multiple revenue streams and building recurring revenue and and passive income? I would say that. There's a lot of opportunities for really easy entry into this space of selling anything digital. So, and then probably you're already doing something from a marketing perspective that you might be able to transfer into something you can actually sell. So a lot of us as consultants, we're giving workshops or we're doing things for free. We're doing speaking engagements. We are teaching on a topic because if you're consulting on something, it means that you have a knowledge base that maybe other people don't have, right? So how can you take that knowledge base and think about what type of product could I bring to market? And ideally that product is at a pretty base level because 
You don't want to take your clients who might be paying you $100,000 for a consulting gig and then take that knowledge base and give that away for $100. We're not going to do that. But maybe you can sell something that's like, you know, the first 10 tips to get into whatever, you know, kind of a, a like teaser into the first things you would need to know before you need your services, or maybe just really high level information. Or if you have a workshop recorded or you want to do a workshop, like go and, you know, put that into a place that you can be monetized. You know, a lot of people will spend 50 to a hundred to $200 on some education. And if they know you, trust you, you know, they'll be buying your products. So I think there's a lot of a lot of really quick entry ways into making money that we have an incredible opportunity right now with all everything that all the tools that we have access to. We sure do. Well, congratulations on uh, on what you've built, Hannah. At this point, now that you've been in your own business for a while, what has that done to your work life integration? I. I mean, I'm still working probably more than I would like to be, but I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I think one of the biggest game changers for me is bringing on another me, <laughs> another me in client service. So I've I've been able to hire somebody who I trust to work with clients one-on-one and in a, in you know, frankly, she does a better job in a lot of ways because she's not pulled in 27 different directions like I am as the, you know, business owner, but when, as I'm bringing on client serving professionals, being able to alleviate some of the client pressures a little bit is definitely changing my work-life balance in a good way or integration. I like that better. And, and, you know, I'm, I have a child, so I want to spend time with her. And I always like in my work day during school times, I always try to end my work day at three o'clock because that's when she gets off the bus. And I wouldn't be able to do that if I was still working in public accounting. So that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. You know, it's it's always a joke when they were on, you know, flexible work arrangements, quote unquote. It just meant that you were still working the same amount of time, but just getting paid less, which was kind of the joke was like, nobody's going to go and do that. No. At least when I left, that's a, kind of what it was like. So I think now I have... I. I will use my time in the evenings, in the weekends sometimes, just so I can make sure that I I get those hours when she's home from school. Sounds great. Well, Hannah, um, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Where can people go to get all these great resources that we talked about during the show? Yeah, so you can check out the YouTube channel. So that's at Clara CFO Group, C-L-A-R-A CFO. And that's where a lot of those videos who are kind of you know, really trying to help people with how to build a successful small business from a financial perspective. And you can also go to the website, it's claracfo.com. And then if anybody wants to reach out to me directly, my email is hannah at claracfo.com. Sounds great. We will include all of these things in the show notes. My guest today has been the president of Clara CFO Group, Hannah Smolinski. Thank you, Hannah, for joining us. Thank you so much. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. In today's episode with Hannah Smolinski, we learned how to turn your expertise into multiple active and passive revenue streams. How do you feel about your business? How would membership in a caring, collaborative community help you work toward your goals faster with fewer costly mistakes? A community where quality relationships are fostered through live events and our own private communication platform. 
We're accountability partners are part of the structure and where templates, guides, tools, and resources are provided. A community dedicated to empowering consultants who are determined to build their businesses following long careers as high achieving employees. If you're committed to getting your consulting, coaching, or small business to grow on your own terms so that you can deliver great results to your ideal clients while supporting the lifestyle you want and you don't want to do it alone, consider applying to become a member of the Smashing the Plateau community. Want to know if belonging to a community is right for you? Schedule 15 minutes with me to find out. Go to smashingtheplateau.com slash one five. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash one five. I'm David Schreiner Khan. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.